Let's open our Bibles to Genesis 1. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you'd pass that to the center aisle, we would be glad to collect those and we'll be praying for you this week. I want to spend um, some time over the next three weeks in particular looking at uh, an assault on God's, de- God's design, which requires us to go into the book of Genesis and other places really to inform us and to equip us to be witnesses for Christ in our generation. Um, I, I pray that as, as we look at this uh, message this morning, that God would speak to our hearts. And to that end, I'd like to just offer prayer. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. What we know not, we pray that you would teach us. What we are not, we pray that you would make us. What we have not, we pray that you would give us for the sake of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The impact uh, upon national life of an increasingly promiscuous culture, the escalation of divorce, and the unparalleled political and cultural success of the LGBTQ plus agenda has communicated loudly and clearly a rejection of God's created order. The assault has been incremental and appalling. I think Erwin Lutzer describes it best when he he says, we cannot list all of the advances of the gay agenda except to say that virtually everything they have wanted has come to pass. We have seen in the last seven years the redefinition of marriage, the legalization of so-called same-sex marriage, the unbridled advancement of transgenderism, and a precise and effective strategy to capture the hearts of children and youth with this worldview. Just make it the curriculum in the school. And it's passed on rather easily, and there is no end in sight They were right to put a plus mark after the LGBTQ agenda. It just keeps going and going and going and going, which is what happens when you leave the foundation of what God has said. Depravity, depravity is now codified into national law. Don Green provided just an excellent analysis for the church at a recent Truth Matters conference hosted by Grace Community Church in California. It's on YouTube if you'd like to watch it. So any treatment on sexuality or gender requires that we go uh, to Genesis 1 through 3. It requires us, if you're biblically minded and oriented, if you're a believer, to go to the Ten Commandments, to the Seventh Commandment, which says you shall not commit adultery, as well as to Leviticus It would require us to go to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, where he says, even if you look with um, lust upon a, a woman, you're guilty of adultery. And that is true. And to some of those passages we will go. Evangelicals must start with confessing our own sins when we talk about this. When we talk about a culture that's left its moorings and off the rails and uh, really no end in sight, I think if we're honest, we must confess our own sins. And just as we read in popular culture and those who are informed um, about church life, that pornography is a major problem in in the church. It's a major problem that grips hearts and destroys lives. Rampant immorality even among those claiming the name of Christ, that should not be named among us ever if we're gonna have a biblical sexual ethic. 
And then divorce, which actually is going down. You know why? People just live together. They just live together. We saw mom and dad's marriage go down in flames. We're not going down that road. And so why don't we just live together? And that is a clear violation of what God has said regarding marriage being honored, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. There are solid answers to these questions to guide us to live a life that honors him, whether it be homosexuality, transgender, uh, or, or any of these others. God's word is not silent on these matters. But, you know, this morning there are no LGBTQ activists here today. That's not what this is about. They don't care what's going on in here. Just don't carry what goes on in here out there is when they become concerned about it. But I'm not talking to activists today. Chances are I wouldn't have gotten this far in the speech. But I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to the the gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. And we are gathered here today because we believe the truth. Jesus said to the Father in John 17, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. We are gathered here today because we are absolutely convinced. In fact, uh, have a conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord and we give all praise and glory to God alone. That he's mankind's only savior and he will reign forever and ever and ever. We want to follow him. And so all that I'm saying here this morning and making arguments from the text of Scripture is out of devotion and honor to what he has said. We're not making up the script. We're merely being faithful to it. Don Green continued by saying, general acceptance of sexual chaos, the root is is somewhere else. If we just deal with the surface issue, whether it be sexual sins of the heterosexual type, homosexual sins, transgender, any of these, we're just dealing with them on the surface and miss the root, uh, it's not gonna go very far. Certainly, let's go on record. Anything outside of marriage sexually is out of order and sinful. Period. It violates God's clear commands in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a reflection of a life of one who doesn't know the Lord or feel accountable to him at all. And so we need to think in categories that we're not used to thinking about because by and large, our culture and the world that we know has rejected uh, God's authority. There, There is no authority. We live in a postmodern time which John MacArthur defined as reality is whatever the individual imagines it to be. What is true is determined subjectively by each person. No such thing is objective, universally true, that applies to everyone. So your truth becomes your truth and whoever you think you are and what your manifest destiny is, that's what you need to follow and no one ever should question that. Well, of course, that's not new. We, all we need to do is go to the book of Judges where it says that everyone was doing right in their own eyes. And so opinions are deeply felt and feelings determine what reality um, is for my life and how I'm to view it. The homosexual bases his identity on his sexual drive. That's who I am rather than the fact that, no, you're created in the image of God, you're created, therefore you're owned, and you're accountable to him. 
The transgender person bases his or her identity on inward feelings often introduced to them by their peers, by the culture, or by school teachers or counselors. We must not minimize the power of suggestion with children, and and we're finding ever-increasing cases of younger and younger uh, children undergoing radical surgeries seeking to change the way God created them. That's insane. The crisis of the hour is we live in a world where truth has been slain in the streets and there's blindness to what is really true. This is not simply the nature about sexuality. Um, We see a denial of truth everywhere across our nation and even in the church. And let me just say, this is not a message just pointing fingers out there. I really think we need to be aware of how we've contributed to things as the evangelical church. Our sins have facilitated the present problem in this way. And that is through church growth strategies over the last 30 years that have conditioned people that church is to be a place or a gathering to pamper their personal likes and not call them to to repentance and holiness. The prosperity gospel that abounds on the airwaves of this nation under the banner of Jesus that perverts the gospel of grace, the gospel that saves and conditions people to be selfish in, in, in pursuit of the very things we're called not to pursue, namely wealth and, and to be healthy in the sense that this is the goal of life. Then there's the moralistic Therapeutic deism that we're reminded of by Christian Smith, who's researched evangelicals to where basically there's no doctrinal commitment upon, among those who uh, attend church. That church is, is basically boiled down to an idea that God wants you to be nice and happy. That God wants to help us, but as far as there, there being any sense of accountability to Him and a pursuit of obedience, that's not to be considered, and then to determine what is true. Within the pews, I think advocated in large measure by the charismatic movement, a common common characteristic is this appeal to look inside for what is true, a message from God. Listen to, to God speak to you in your heart, which there's some measure of truth there, But what you're not hearing often are believers saying, the reason I'm led in this direction is because God's word has set forth these truths and I'm going to walk in them. Pastors expressing what God has said to them in their bathroom or in their personal time as carrying authoritative weight for the church. A steady stream of men, not only this, but a steady steady stream of church leaders who have fallen by the wayside into sexual sin. And churches who say, yes, we believe the Bible, but just put it under the pew. We're not going to look at it for the next hour. And preaching becomes personal testimony time, cultural analysis. After such denial, Don Green insightfully says, after such denial, the church wants to say that truth matters with regard to sexuality and gender. Why do we assume we have a voice when we've not honored God in our lives? We gather here 
wanting to be different, don't we? We gather here today wanting to make a difference in our life and for this church to stand for God in our generation. Not as self-righteous, judgmental people, but people who are anchored in the word without apology. And so I'm grateful for this assessment and my purpose in these series of messages is not political but to be biblical. The the purpose of this series is to encourage and to equip the body of Christ to speak truth to these issues that are before us and to pursue obedience to him, not to live by deception and lies. Andreas and Margaret Kostenberger, that's quite a name, isn't it? Couple, Andreas and Margaret Kostenberger captured my thoughts in their faithful work, God's Design for Man and Woman. We're convinced that it's vital to wrestle with our identity as men and women for the sake of healthy marriages, families, and churches, but more importantly, for the true expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. So gender matters. It matters that we understand God's design for these things and we're living at a time where all of this is, is, is undercut. And it matters for the, for the gospel and how that's lived out in the church and in our individual lives. Now, in our last study, we were in the book of Ephesians and we looked at Paul's statement, because of who we are in, in Jesus Christ, we're to live this way. We're to be imitators of God as dear children, chapter five, verse one. We're to walk in the ways of God. We're to walk in the light of his word. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in wisdom. And we're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The best marriage counseling I could give uh, to any believer is to be filled with the spirit and to be carried along by the spirit of God. We are called to embrace God's design for marriage. We're called to nurture and train our children to follow Christ. These are foundational things. This is God's design for the people of God. So for this reason, we're returning to the beginning of Genesis, and maybe you're looking at the outline this morning, you're thinking, wow, he's gonna get that in this morning. No, you know, I just, later in the week, it's just, normally I come in with about 10 to 15 pages of notes on my iPad, and I was up to 50, and I thought, I love these dear people, Lord. So let's break it up in three weeks, shall we? So let's, let's begin, and we'll be nibbling off this uh, outline for some time uh, in, over the next month. So God created them male and female. That's what I want us to notice first in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the first chapter in the Bible, begins with a declaration, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Henry Morris said, a believing understanding of the book of Genesis is a prerequisite to our understanding of God and his meaning for your life. We don't give away Genesis here. This is, this is divine truth to us. Genesis was written to present the beginning of everything except God. He's always been. In Genesis, we read of the, the universe being created. We, we read of human beings being created. The ordination or the establishment of the Sabbath marriage, sin, sacrifice and salvation, family, civilization, government, nations, Israel, all leading to an understanding of history and life as we know it. We don't give away truth in Genesis. The debate over creation really is an issue of the authority of Scripture. Owen Strand wrote recently on Twitter, 
Talking snake, God walking in the garden, real historical Adam and Eve, real eating of forbidden fruit, real tree of life, six 24-hour days of divine creation, ashamed of exactly none of this. (laughs) I'm not ashamed of any of it. Open to have conversations, but ultimately coming back to God being the center of it all. Albert Moeller in his article, Assessing Assessing Reasons Why the Church Has Been So Accommodating to an Unbelieving World on the Creation Account, said virtually every form of theological liberalism arises from an attempt to rescue Christian theology from what is perceived to be an intellectual embarrassment. We don't give away truth in Genesis. It's how we make sense of the insanity, all revealed to us by God. So we we learn here in the text that we were created, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And since we come from them, we are created in the image of God. This answers the question, where do we come from? Not primordial slime. We were created in the image of God. We have parents who were first parents. That is a very common childhood question. Where do we come from? Take them to Genesis. We often answer in the natural realm. But God said in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all of the earth and so forth. In verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Male and female, he created them. If you'll turn the page to chapter two, verse seven, the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Not only the creation of man, but the human family. Within the creation account, we we discover the institution of marriage, which I read to you just a moment ago. In chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, the end of the chapter. But God said, let us make man in our image. In the meaning of the image of God, the fact that, that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and he represents God in this world in a way a hippopotamus doesn't, or a giraffe. They underscore the creativity of the creator, but man was created in the image of God. The fall distorted that image, but it was not lost. And so redemption in Christ means that as a fallen human being, I can be restored to my creator and have fellowship with him through my sin-bearer and savior Christ, that by trusting him, I have fellowship with the God who created me and redeemed me and has expressed his love to me in so many ways, and one day we'll spend all of eternity with him. Indeed, this is the purpose of life, that we may glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Do it my way, follow me. Psalm 1611, you have known, you've made known to me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David said in Psalm 27, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Adam and Eve were created as co-regents in the creation mandate. 
In chapter two of Genesis, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The first thing God did for Adam was give him a job. Get to work. It's wonderful work. It was work without sin. It was work without thorns and thistles. You're to keep my garden. The Lord commanded the man, of all, all these trees you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And we know later in chapter three, they did exactly what they were told not to do. And this sent the entire human race into sin and a fallen state to which we all know very well. So look at chapter two, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good. This is the first negative in the creation. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a compliment, a fit for him to fulfill as co-regents my, my calling to subdue creation. Verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The hippopotamus, that won't do. The giraffe, not quite. So God put Adam to sleep and created Eve. And we read the first song in the Bible, I believe. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. After Adam, after naming all of the anim, animals as a taxonomer, he finally sees Eve and, and he's just overcome with song. This is now it. Look what God has done. Someone has suggested that when God created Eve, um, God sent Eve to go wake up Adam. <laughs> and then when he woke up, it was like, wow, what a gift. What a, to know marriage without sin. We've never known that. And be assured of this, marriage brings all of the sludge of our heart to the surface, doesn't it? That we might learn to follow the Lord, all the free lessons we get in marriage on servanthood and not being selfish and fulfilling a life purpose together. Notice also that God created Eve as a complement. They were spiritually equal. This is really important in understanding the roles of men and women. And we're gonna unpack that a little bit in detail over the coming weeks. But they were spiritually equal, of, of equal value in the sight of the Lord. Um, and yet they had different roles. There was mutual enjoyment and if we were to ask, was Eve Adam's equal? Yes and no, in the sense that she was his spiritual equal and unlike the animal, suitable for him in a way that is beyond description, but she was not his equal with regard to the role that God gave Adam to lead. And that distinction in role is not something that occurred at the fall. This is, this is pre-fall in chapter two. This is before sin came. God had charged Adam to lead. And we see that that goes all backwards when Eve is tempted and Adam, instead of providing the leadership he needed to, uh, succumbed to the temptation as well. And it's interesting how the New Testament holds both Adam and Eve guilty in different ways. In Adam, we all die. It's Adam's fault. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, we read where Eve was beguiled by the certain. It, it, it was Eve's fault. It's both their fault. But we all die in Adam. He was the leader. He was the federal head. 
So let's move into this account on, on the marriage, uh, uh, um, God establishing marriage. God established marriage in Genesis 18 through 25. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, which was our text last week, pulling from this foundational passage. So Paul's not referring back to Genesis. In fact, Paul quotes verse uh, 20. Um, uh, 24, excuse me, 23, Genesis 2, 23, he quotes that in Ephesians 5. So Paul's not saying, you know, the creation, creation account, it, it's a bit fuzzy and iffy, we can't really rely on that. No, uh, this is a creative principle. Genesis written thousands of years before Paul um, lived, uh, 1,500 years at least. And so here we we see that he's appealing to this creation ordinance. So I would appeal to us here today that this has been true from the beginning and that we would build our thoughts on sexuality and all the things that we're hearing today based upon these truths. When Paul writes in, to, to the Ephesians, and why don't we turn there for just a moment. In Ephesians 5, I want to just bring this to your mind again. Uh, wives are uh, to be subject to their husbands. Now, you'll note that I, I pointed out last week, we'll note that this came right after the, the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's verse 25. He is basing this teaching on truths established in creation, male headship, which is clearly taught in Scripture, not as one lording over, but, is, but, but a Christ-like servant to his wife and to his family, a spiritual leader assuming responsibilities uh, for his life and for his family, leading in family worship, bringing the word of God to the forefront of family life, a spiritual leader laying down his life for his wife and for his children. In fact, marriage is a call to love supernaturally. And this should be the witness that is given in our world from believers. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And no woman will have trouble submitting to a man who loves like that. No virtuous woman will struggle hard against a man who is willing to die for her. Now notice in this Ephesians 5 passage, the husband's duty towards his wife. Paul uses five verbs drawn from Christ's action towards his bride, the church. This is supernatural living. Verse 25, Christ loved the church. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you begin to love what he loves. And he loves his church. His redeemed. Christ gave himself up for the church, verse 25. Christ's goal is to make his church holy, verse 26. Christ is cleansing his church through the word of God, verse 26. And in verse 27, Christ will present the church as a radiant bride without blemish. And John led us in that song, which lift, lifts up that truth, that the, the body of Christ, locally as a part of a universal body of all true believers, is call, we are called to be his radiant bride, and he's washing his bride until that day we see him face to face. The greatest demonstration of Christ's love for the church was his dying for her. This is our calling. Men, let me just ask you, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? 
And I know in our gathering, we have all different walks and all different experiences, but I'm just talking to the men right now. Do you love her as Christ loved the church? That should arrest us so often. When family life, you know, when I, when I think about the number one need um, from a woman often, I, I, I just hear this and sense this, is your wife begging you to make decisions. Um, when family life is at a standstill, asking for your leadership, the number one prayer request often from women in the church is that, w- that my husband would lead and be the spiritual leader of our home. They're desperate for it. And it's a call, men, for us to assume that responsibility and give it our best for the Lord's sake. And so the way the fall has impacted this distinction in roles between male and female was not in the creation design but in the fall that has come forth. And so how has the fall affected men since Adam? In the sense that loving one's wife as Christ loved the church, that seems to be an anomaly. Well, one of the ways that sin has impacted manhood is the irresponsible, reckless, abusive, selfish, threatening man. The bully, the thug, the hole in the sheetrock punching man, the intimidator. If your wife is afraid of you, that's a serious problem. And any man that would hit his wife is in deep sin. Not mentoring or discipling your wife, washing her with the water of the word. Are you bathing her in prayer? It's not about dominating a weaker vessel. That's perversion. This is Christ-like leadership. It's laying down your life for her. So that's one way the fall has affected manhood. The other is the passive male who checks out who dumps everything on his wife, never takes a stand, never weighs in, never takes responsibility, has followed the cultural portrayal of manhood is you need to be quiet and shut your mouth. And you feel the hostility, don't you? I, I mean, if you're, if you're a white male in our culture today, you're on the outs in lots of places. And some may say, well, what are you whining about? You've been an authority all this time. That's not the authority we want. We want Christ-like leadership, Christ-like example, Christ-like witness. I'm talking to the church this morning, a gathering of those who possess faith in Jesus Christ, a people convinced and resolved that God has spoken through creation, has spoken through his word, and has spoken through his son Christ. If there was ever a time to rethink marriage in biblical terms, it's now, and for us to have resolve on what it means and what it is. So, if you would allow me one more flip back to Genesis 1. 
I, w- I want to look at a definition of marriage and build on this to talk about some of these other issues. So-called same-sex marriage, transgenderism, and others in the next two weeks. So please come back. If you miss them, check it out on our online and you'll want to keep abreast of this. So a definition of, of marriage. In the creation account, what I, I've noticed several things that just emerge from the text with regard to, this is the first marriage. Paul doesn't, doesn't define marriage in Ephesians 5. It's assumed this is how it's brought together. And what, what do we note about marriage biblically? One, it's monogamous. It's one man and one woman for a lifetime. Well, what's all this polygamy mess that we find in scripture? Well, it's them following the culture and not the word of God. In the beginning, it was Adam and Eve, period. And the moment you look at these family trees where there's polygamy and you've got incredible chaos. Sin's tough enough, even if it's one man and one woman. But look at poor Jacob. Two wives, two, con- you know, two concubines, handmaids. And that's the family for the 12 tribes of Israel. And maybe that's the point, is that God's redemption and grace is what we need most. But marriage is defined as monogamous. One man, one woman from the biblical text. You'll never find an example of two women, two men ever constituting a marriage in the Bible. In fact, you will find those in the category of sins listed as abominable by the Lord. Monogamous, heterosexual between a man and a woman. The word of God is clear on this. Thirdly, they're to be fruitful and multiply. You don't need to be a genius in biology to see that two women cannot produce a child. The call here is to be fruitful and to multiply. They, they complemented each other. Equality of worth, male headship, and Eve's support in fulfilling God's intention to subdue creation in a lifelong partnership and ministry. We move on to verse 24 and we see a separation that when a man and a woman come together, that a man shall leave his father and mother. That's essential. That when a man and a woman come together in marriage, all other relationships take a secondary stance in their life and their commitment is to one another. You ignore that creative principle and you invite all sorts of chaos into your family. permanence. It's for a lifetime. They shall, he shall cleave to his wife. This is the picture of something that's not meant to be taken apart. We know divorce is a reality in our world. Some believers we, believers we know have been through the pain of divorce. We stand with you. We support you. We, God's grace uh, to be worked out in your life. But let's just agree to say that God hates divorce And let's pursue what he says in his word and just call it what it is and that God indeed brings new beginnings even from painful pasts. Unity, the two shall become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. And this sets marriage apart from any other relationship in a one flesh union. Becoming one flesh as husband and wife is symbolized and sealed by sexual union, which is a beautiful gift from God, not only for procreation, but for um, intimacy as he intends for it to be expressed. 
And that leads us lastly to intimacy. So intimacy, unity, permanence, separation, complementary, uh, a complementary nature, nature full, uh, fruitful, heterosexual, monogamous. All of these just emerge from the first chapters of the Bible of what God intended for marriage. They were both naked and not ashamed. I just think this is a beautiful picture and one we need to come back to. So we live in a, a culture where people define who they are. I think I'm a man, I think I'm a woman. I'm gonna move in that direction. I, I just, I close again with a statement made by Rankin Wilburn that I think really addresses that. God is not a stagehand of the play you're writing. He's not the, a stagehand of the play you are writing and starring in. You are no longer the star of the show. It's not about you. If you could come to the place in your spiritual life where you would say, it's not about me, that's a huge step. Because then you'll see yourself as someone in need. In need of Christ who will redeem our life from destruction and crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Jesus said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female? Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. May we honor what God honors. And with every marriage, it's a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. And he loves his church. And this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to remember how much he loves us, that he would give us his, his life and his blood, in him is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I'm gonna ask the deacons to come forward at this time and the musicians as well. And Pastor Jared's going to lead us in observing the Lord's Supper together. I'm happy to have the deacons back as we're making incremental steps to the way things used to be with regard to observing the Lord's Supper. Jared, would you lead us?